TY Skin podcast is being held on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, and I wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of the other communities who may be here today. Hey, how are you going to that? Good. How are you on this um, Sunday? Gorgeous Sunday. It's beautiful, honestly. Lucky, we're very lucky we're getting this kind of weather weather in the middle of um, winter. I know, it's so nice. That's, it's, I can deal with the cold as long as the sun's shining. Like, it's fine. That's it. I'm wearing my SPF. <laughs> Always, even on cloudy days. I actually forgot to put my sunscreen on today. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I literally just realised when we were talking about the sun, we were like, the sun's shining. I'm like, yeah, I don't have any sunscreen on today. Oh, no. Do as I say, not, what I, not as I do. 100%. <laughs> no. Rain, hail or shine. Rain, hail or shine, especially during the hail. Mm-hmm. So um, what are we going to be talking about today, Tanao? So this is part two of our pigment chat. So last time we did a bit of an introduction into like what pigmentation is. So that's really important to understand now what we're going to discuss today, which is our types of pigmentation, um, what they look like, what types you may have, um, treatments for it, all about it really. Yeah. So like, you know, if you don't know about pigmentation and like what it is, go listen to the last episode. It's a bit like um, just a bit of an intro to everything. And today we're going to just, it's not going to be a full list of all pigment conditions because like we'll be here forever. It's just kind of like, you know, a little brief uh, look into what kind of conditions there are, like some common ones and some uncommon ones. Um, and we're going to touch on, on a bit about skin cancer also because, um, you know, pigment conditions and skin cancer are very interlinked and it's important to understand, you know, a bit of the differences. Um, and, you know, um, just keeping everyone's safety in mind too is really important. And we'll go through each condition. We'll go through each condition that we kind of have chosen to talk about um, any specific treatment uh, treatments that are specific to that condition and then also some overall kind of um, helpful tips to deal with pigmentation. Absolutely. And that's the thing about pigmentation as well is like there's such a plethora of types. There's so many, like you said, we'd be forever if we were to discuss them all. But it's really, it's a very personal thing because like lately, you know, freckles are really in fashion, but a lot of people love freckles, which are, called ephylides is the scientific name um but then you know some people want to treat them because they don't like the appearance of them but some people love them you know some people it's a very personal thing as to if they are a concern so yeah there's definitely there's no harm in having pigmentation especially like more of our congenital pigment which is like birthmarks and things like that a lot of the times we do just leave them in the skin because they make up who we are but Sometimes we get into those types that are more problematic and, you know, people find that it's something within their skin that they don't like. So then we treat it and we've got many options to do so. We really do. Yeah, it's interesting you spoke about the, um, like, you know, it's very personal because, like, you know, some people would consider them, like, really unsightly and they're like, oh, no, like, I want these away, these gone. But then, like, some people are so happy to have them. Like, I know so many people who are like, yeah, like, I don't want my, like, my freckles treated, but, like, I want everything else treated today. And yeah. I'm like, okay, okay, like, that's fine. And and it's important to actually talk about that because as, like, as dermal clinicians and if you go, if, you know, you people do go see dermal clinicians, it's important to have that discussion of what you want because um, that's the most important thing when you go in to see someone. It's like what you want first and your presentation and your expression as like a person is really important. And, you know, like the smallest thing like freckles comes into play. And like people are literally getting freckles tattooed on. So, you know, if you've got it, flaunt it. For me. I like personally I freckle quite easily and that's been like I've had freckles my whole life but mine is more of a management so that's it's not something that I ever want to get rid of but through my skincare home care and like regular kind of treatments that are like secondary treat them as like a second intention it's not the main reason that I'm doing those treatments 
and light and so that they're a color that like I can cover with makeup and you know they're not problematic to me they're just like very light in color and that's for me that's my preference that's what I want to do but there are treatments out there that I could completely get rid of them um yeah but I choose not to because it's my skin that's who I am but yeah everyone's so different that's right that's it so why don't we get into it why don't we get stuck right into it all right so we've already spoken a little bit about freckles um but let's talk about our two like umbrella terms for our two types so we have hyperpigmentation which is that excess pigment like that's more pigment it's a dark spot then we have hypopigmentation which is the loss of pigment so it's a white spot yeah um this can happen from injury where we kind of damage those melanocytes which we discussed in the previous episode what they do they create your pigment so if these are really damaged to the point beyond repair you won't have any pigment in that area of skin and that's when we see hypopigmentation we also see hypopigmentation and a lack of melanocytes in um, conditions like albinism people don't have any pigment yeah. Uh, and then a really common one, well, not really common, sorry, a really well-known one, I meant to say, that has kind of come up in the media um, in the last few years is vitiligo. Yeah. Um, can't talk about vitiligo without mentioning <laughs> Winnie Harlow. Oh, absolutely. She's very notable for having vitiligo. Um, other notable people who have had it, Michael Jackson had vitiligo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very common one. Um and, yeah, there's actually a lot of, like, people who, like, in the public eye, like, who really keep this a secret. And it gets you thinking about, like, people really do make a conscious effort or, like, you know, I guess especially, like, maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago, like, people really do make a considered effort to look normal. Yeah. And then, and then there's people like Winnie Harlow who are like, here's me, I am, this is, this is my skin condition. And, and it's beautiful. And I, that's so the direction that the world is going in, like, you know, recognize all different types of beauty. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, a bit about vitiligo specifically, it's about a loss of melanin. And um, what happens here, I guess, like on a really cellular level is that when there is any sort of stress that triggers the melanocyte, um, this protein is activated. Um, it's called HSP70I. It's a bit of a funky name. Um, but this activates the dendritic cells in your body and this kind of follows this like immunity like course where it eventually activates t cells which is an immune cell and they actually kill the melanocyte which leads to our loss of pigment so it's kind of a bit of a dysfunction that can happen in the skin and this is what happens so it's basically it's a bit of an autoimmune kind of thing that's happening i wouldn't say it's an autoimmune disorder that's probably more about albinism but on a on a smaller scale, vitiligo is kind of like that. You're getting you're mm. kind of killing like melanocytes and this pigment producing, um, you know, cell in a part of your body. Um, but then it appears as like patches. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's very common actually to find that if someone has vitiligo, they might have other things like uh, uh, hyperthyroidism or atopic dermatitis or some sort of genetic predisposition, you know, that maybe their dad or their mum or their parent had, um, some sort of, um, vitiligo at one stage. Cause, um, cause it is linked to immunity and, you know, dermatitis is very like inf- inflammatory. There's mm-hmm. that really good, like big crossover that, you know, like if you're getting dermatitis in one spot per se, let's say, um, you, you might have a bit of a hypopigmentation of the area. And um, I've even seen people who like, you know, have them, they have like streaks through their eyebrow and the, their skin around their eyebrow goes white, but also the hair can go white. Yeah, absolutely. Any area of, you know, where you don't have that melanin in the skin will also be reflected in the hair. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think with vitiligo, it's really important that because there is a lack of melanin and melanocytes, it's really important that people really take care of their skin with sunscreen and block. So depending on where it is in your body, it's, it can be really anywhere. 
um, really like taking care to cover that area of the body because there's no sort of um, protection that your skin would normally have in that area. Yep. Very, very important. Well said. Yeah. Do you have any notes on that? Have you ever come across that in industry? Yeah, I have um, treated somebody with vitiligo for other things. She yeah. was quite comfortable with it. Um and we were treating other things within the skin. But she, interesting um, note about this case, she had said to me, yeah, I don't have anyone in my family with it. Like I don't have that genetic kind of that hasn't been passed down. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, you know, it's one of those things that can be genetic, might not. Yeah. But then I, a few months later I saw her and she said, oh, I was at the beach with my dad and I noticed a patch on his back where he had no pigment and she's like, he didn't even know, but he has vitiligo, but it's just on his, like the lower part of his back. So. There you go. See, it's all about like even even with conditions, it's about giving a name to it. Like people don't think that that's like an, uh, a kind of dysfunction of their might not see it because it's on their back or they look at it, they're like, oh, like I've seen other people with that and they, they don't have it a problem. So it's interesting yeah. to kind of see like how people like their behaviour towards things. And I think especially like, younger people take a lot more note about these things as opposed to you know like the older educated now yeah definitely like health literacy skin literacy which is really important absolutely absolutely um so our other type of pigment which is a large topic is hyperpigment yeah so this encompasses all of that pigment where it's darker than the surrounding skin. Um, so like we were talking a lot about freckles before, they are called ephylides. Um, and these are those really kind of, they're really common in people with like lighter kind of skin types, you know, famously like people that are more red, like fair skinned. Um, they have that kind of variant to producing them. Um, and this happens a lot in summer because you have that increased UV and sun exposure and the type of melanin that's in these lesions is photoreactive, so it reacts really highly in the sun. So that's why freckles come and go, get darker and lighten yep. through the summer months. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, like it's really photoreactive because it has that type of melanin called pheomelanin, which is that red brown melanin. Um, and I mean, I guess it goes without saying, I feel like we've all seen people who have freckles or we've seen someone, a photo of someone who has freckles. Um, they're really quite, they're quite small. They're like about one to three millimeters in size. Um, they can be round, they can be oval, they can be like, they can be really irregular, but they're quite small and they, they can look big sometimes, but that's just because they can cluster sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they are something that can be present from a young age. So this is a type of pigment that, you know, we see in children as well. Um, whereas when we start to talk about like solar lentigos, which are another form of like epidermal pigmentation, which is like quite a superficial pigmentation we don't often see these in younger people because these are induced by photo damage. Yeah. And Whereas they, this is more genetic. Yeah. It still is, you know, that photo, that sun exposure kind of factor. But um, when we start to see things like solar lentigos, these you see more commonly in older people because they've had more sun exposure over their lives, more damage. And these are larger, much larger than uh, freckles or ephylides. Um, and I'm sure everybody has seen these before in within the older generation, super, super common, especially in Australia. Yeah. So um, with like ephylides um, or freckles, they're very, very epidermal. So they're sitting, that meaning that it sits really superficially on the skin. So when um, people, um, I guess, do want to get this treated, it's not going to be something that's going to be very harshly treated or doesn't need as much of a deep penetration when you're dealing with it. So like even a really superficial peel, like a, like you could probably do like a lactic peel or some sort of AHA peel and it would really help lighten it. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about treatments in more depth later on. But, yeah, you're right. Anything that's exfoliating and removing that kind of top layer of skin is going to help to remove some of that pigment that's sitting there because it yeah. is on that top layer of skin, yeah. Yeah. Um, also with ethylides, um, it's much more common in Fitzpatrick type 1 and Fitzpatrick type 2 skin, so Northern European, English, Scottish, um, Scandinavian, that kind of um, genetic ethnicity or genetic background. Um kind of on a cellular level, um, the reason why it's kind of so like photoreactive is that there is a gene involved co- called the NC1R gene. So this is the melanocortin 1 receptor. And this is really important in melanin production where induce eumelanin synthesis. So a black to brown um, pigment. But people who have the mutation on this gene um, and you don't have to have a lot of mutations on it. You can only, you only just need one. It actually inactivates the gene. So that basically stops the pathway to black brown pigment and goes to more the red brown pigment. And that's why people get this photoreactivity because it's much more susceptible. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I need to slow down. Much more susceptible to that photoreactivity. Well said. Um, Also, it's much more associated with skin cancers. Um, This kind of, if you do get ethylides, because you have that MC1R gene kind of mutation, it's important to really like keep on top of sun protection. Absolutely. Always, always. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Have that, you know, increased um, like capability to produce those lesions, which is problematic. Mm -hmm. yeah it's important so you said you get um you get freckles and ethylides tanea do you find that it kind of goes away in winter months more yeah definitely i think the more sun exposure i have the the more i have and the darker they get so yeah i just manage that of course yeah um definitely so we i mentioned solar and tigers briefly yep do you have anything else to add about them these are something that we see in clinic and people want these treated because yeah they're kind of larger more obvious yeah definitely these need yeah they're much more obvious um they're not they can be also like not even flat um if they're a bit more developed they can be kind of papular so papular meaning that it kind of it sits a bit raised so that's what gets a lot of people kind of worried I feel because it's that raised like dimensional look yeah um, kind of get like a bit crazy on top and then then it's a seborrheic keratosis which is the like textural thing and they kind of yeah they start to get raised and change and this is when you really this needs assessment this is where we would definitely recommend people go and have skin checks even though everyone should be once every 12 months absolutely indicates a lot of damage um and your skin's like very dysfunctional in that area very dysfunctional yep um this is solar lentigos are much more um prominent in people who are fitzpatrick three or fitzpatrick four skin types so very much our fitzpatrick skin types today we'll see that way more um so you know like the European, like people who can tan a bit more, Mediterranean people, um, but Asian, um, Southeast Asian. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. it can be they can be millimetres in width. They can be centimetres in width. Um, they're an accumulative, like, sun-damaged thing. So they can become bigger over time, and that's something that needs to be noted, especially when we're talking about pigment, um, skin cancer too, because that is one of that's a key sign that something can be going can go wrong. Absolutely. So it's always important that if you have one, keep notes of it, keep some tracks, you know, make sure it's not um, going haywire. Yeah. That's the yeah, things to look out for in any pigmented lesions are changes growing, you know, um, any sensation within it, if they kind of bleed when you knock them, things like that. So um, 
yeah, it's always good to keep an eye on them, even if it's congenital, which we'll talk about. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's a birthmark or something you've had from since you were born, it's important to keep an eye on them just yeah. in case. Yeah. Um, I guess like a bit cellularly also, it um, there's like a lot of retention by the keratinocytes in your body or your skin cells where there's um, retention of like the pigment. So that's kind of like the protective factor that comes into play of the skin. It's like kind of trying to protect that area of the skin because there's obviously been some sort of dysfunction there um, when your body's been trying to protect it from the sun. So, yeah, yeah, they, these can be treated and we've treated them before and they come up like if it's, if it's not, um, you know, um, if it's not a chaotic lesion and we don't think it's skin cancer, they come up really nicely and they, you get really good results. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They're really a, a fun thing to treat. I really enjoy treating things like this because often there's some, like when people are concerned about these, it's something that's weighing on their self-esteem, um, especially if they start to get older. It's normally like a sign of age they feel. So when we can remove that from the skin and then protect it from coming back and, you know, get them on some fantastic home care as well, um, yep. improve their skin health, people yeah people love it it's it's such it's a great treatment um yeah treatment options i Um, would say um in terms of treatments specifically with lentigos and ephalids is that because they're so they come in they come together so often like they're hand in hand i think like these are really well treated with an ipl or a laser machine especially ipl because it's that big hand piece and that big surface area you can really treat a lot of things at once Mm -hmm. too Definitely, like when you're, yeah, if you're treating a single lesion or if you're treating the whole face or half the face, they're, yeah, fantastic. These treatments that we were discussing, the IPL and the laser, what it's doing is the light, the wavelength of light is absorbed by the melanin and this heat disperses to the whole cell that's holding it. It damages it you see the pigment become really dark, which often for people is a bit of a shock because it's so, so dark. Um, And then these damaged cells basically move to the top of your skin um, and they will, like, flake off and shed off basically over time, over the next couple of weeks. And then your the the skin underneath, you'll have something called basal cell um, mitosis and all of these new cells will be like generated and stimulated and these are um, produced rapidly so they don't have time to uptake more pigment. So then after this whole process, there's less pigment in the area and, of course, anyone that's having these treatments will be on um, great home care and wearing sunscreen. So overall, we have less pigment in the skin. It's a great treatment. It's so good. And like we've seen like at uni, like when we treat people, the results are really good. Even like we treated, we treated you on your shoulders and your, uh, on your decolletage and it came up really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. Such a nice treatment. Yeah. What was that? And it's fun to perform. It is fun to perform. You're right. <laughs> um, all right. What's next for us for epidermal pigment? Um, I think the only really other one that I think is worth discussing is post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation often confused with scarring. Like a lot of people come into clinic and they think that it's scarring. And trust me, it is a good thing that it isn't because it means it's so much easier to treat. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. This one, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation is such a huge, huge topic because it is generally after an acne lesion and it's generally worse than the acne itself. Yeah, and it lasts like such a long time so much longer than the actual acne lesion so yeah often a lot of acne sufferers you know and they might come in and have two or three active acne lesions but they've got this post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation pih we'll refer to it as um these little red or brown marks like red to brown marks, and these last like three months longer you know it depends on the person's skin color and skin type um and yeah, yeah really weighs on people's self-esteem yeah absolutely so because you know acne is an inflammatory condition like we've spoken about before 
if you haven't listened to it, go listen to our acne um, podcast episode. But um, it's an inflammatory condition. So it's this like pigment following inflammation. And that's because of that protective component of our skin. It's, mm-hmm. it's trying to protect the area because there's been an open wound. There's been like an, an opening of our skin barrier. So when you look at it that way, it makes sense, but it's very unsightly and it can be like the PIH can be so distressing. Like I've had it, like I've had it as a kid, like when I was like 15, 16 years old and it's so bad. Like it makes you feel so terrible about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, it's definitely something that with acne sufferers we can help prevent, like making sure that you're reducing the inflammation by not squeezing and picking is massive, massive. So trying not to do that. And then similar to, like through other types of pigmentation, exfoliating, good skincare, sunscreen, so you're not having that added um, inflammation and UV exposure to darken those lesions. Um, yeah. Yeah, really important. Um, yeah, I think it's good to note also that it's not just, it doesn't come just from acne. It comes from any sort of cutaneous injury, any sort of injury to the skin, whether you've been you've been scratched, you've grazed your knee, you've, you know, like things like that. Like it happens mm-hmm. o- over any sort of, um, sort of uh, inflammation. Like, you know, I've had, um, I've, I've grazed my knees really badly before when I was a kid. And like, I have like, I have hyperpigmentation on my, um, knees and hypopigmentation, which is really interesting. Mm, Yeah. The loss of that melanin unit. Yeah. Have you, um, I guess a good point of difference between us two, like we've spoken about is like that you get more PIE, whereas I get more PIH. Yeah. So my lesions will be more of a pink to light brown. Yeah. You will experience them to being brown. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because of our different Fitzpatricks. Everyone's different. That's right. That's right. So PIH is like really common, um, much more common in people who are Fitzpatrick four and higher, um, people like non, uh, I guess, non-European, non-Caucasian um, will get this much more. Um, and I guess when you're treat, when this is being treated, it's really important to take note of the person's, skin and their Fitzpatrick type because like because they have that competing chromophore absolutely so a competing chromophore um is basically we have melanin in our skin but we also want to target the melanin and the pigment that's in that pigmented spot so bypassing your skin with certain wavelengths of a um of a laser or using a certain peel to not induce a lot of heat is really important in this, in, in this specific realm of the PIH. Well said. And I just also want to add in the preface, like the other conditions that we're going to talk about, but in these, like it's really important um, that when we're treating these conditions, we are stopping what's causing them. So for your PIH, we're going to treat the acne first to, because if you're still getting acne, you know, there's no point treating what's there. Well, it's still being stimulated. Yeah. And the like freckles you know you want to stop having sun exposure so they stop getting produced and then we we want to use our treatment options in our home care to lighten remove what's there and then prevent it coming back so that's kind of the three-step process really if you're going to really make it basic yeah absolutely you don't want to go you don't want to be going back and forth between two different things you want to like kind of do it step by step like you said yeah, absolutely. All about prevention. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, PIH, this can happen from things like um, like the cutaneous injuries, um, also with people who shave, um, getting ingrown hairs, that can happen too. In those sites of inflammation, there's a constant inflammation that ingrown hair can happen a lot. Yeah, around the follicle. Yeah, like, like folliculitis after any sort of folliculitis people can get, mm-hmm. especially happens in African caribbean african-american groups it can happen quite a lot it could be it can be hard to treat sometimes yeah Um, but never impossible i feel like a lot of people a lot of people who you know a bit uh, darker you know higher fitzpatrick 
might think that they can't get treated by these things because they're only for, you know, like Caucasian people or European people. But if you, if you really want something to be treated and you're insecure about it, like it can be treated. You just need to go to the right person who knows the right things. A dermal clinician. <laughs> A dermal clinician, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. I think we could move on to mixed. Yeah. So go. mixed, which means it is sitting in between or is in both epidermal and dermal areas of your skin. So um, rather than what the previous ones that we've discussed, which are sitting in your epidermis, these ones, they can just be anywhere they want, apparently. They do what they want. Yeah. They are the they are the um the creator of their own show, honestly. Um <laughs> sure. so mixed pigment, um, I think the most common one is melasma. Yeah. 100%. So melasma mel- can also be dermal, just dermal. But most of the time it is mixed, I would yep. say. It can be it can sometimes be hard to tell with the naked eye like where it sits. So that's where it's really important where we come in as dermal clinicians, where we use our tools of assessment, like a woods lamp, where we assess the skin and, you know, we make those marks with the tools where it sits in the skin. Yeah, so that we can treat it as best as possible. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's more like there's more like well-defined borders of pigment. Um, it's going to sit more epidermal, but there's more like kind of cloudy looking pigment, that bluish gray pigment. It's going to be sitting much more dermal, sitting with that collagen. Um, when it reflects back, it can look kind of a bit white. But um, yeah, um, melasma is something that can, I guess, like where it's located. It's always usually um, for people where it, it distresses them the most is the face. So central face, it can affect their cheek area, can even affect their forearms, which is really interesting. Yeah, and um, often melasma is referred to as the pregnancy mask. Um, It's mirrored as well, so that's a really good um, distinguishing feature when we're in clinic. So a lot of, I see a lot of people that have it on their forehead and they have it in both sides of their forehead, like in their hairline. That's also because sun exposure really and that's the high point of your face where you're getting where that sun's hitting all the time um it's referred to as pregnancy mask because a lot of people develop it throughout pregnancy because of the changes in estrogen yeah um men can get this but it's very common in women not so common in men um another risk factor for it is any hormonal changes so contraceptive pill going off it going on it um inflammatory kind of conditions or hormonal conditions some medications as well can stimulate it um it's a tricky one yeah With condition it's and and more mixed dermal conditions of pigmentation a lot of the time as dermal clinicians we are managing it we can't remove it from the skin yep definitely because there is that hormonal aspect and we've spoken about hormones before like when we talk about um you know like skin types for example um it's very like it's very much a managing thing and making sure that it's not getting worse than what it is for the person um so i guess going into this condition if you've ever experienced it or you might experience it in the future it's always important to be realistic about expectations for things and not everything can be treated quote unquote per se um and it's yeah it's really good and there's so there's so many things that we can do to help manage it yeah and again like the best thing is sunscreen 100 percent. yeah and there's um there's a lot of laser machines that can help with that too like you um we've seen before laser toning you've seen to now yeah so basically what that's doing is it is a laser machine but it with the dendrites, which we spoke about in the part one of this episode of the melanocyte, it is stimulating those dendrites to basically quieten down and reduce producing that melanin, um, which does like chronically in melasma. So it quietens that process down and therefore is reducing the pigment in the area, the pigment production in the area, and then overall you're going to see a controlling and a lightening of the lesion. Um, 
and yeah, that kind of halts it, halts its progression somewhat, um, and is a really great management strategy. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, sun protection is so important because, especially in the mixed pigment kind of sector, when you get that chronic exposure of UV on the skin, it can degrade the collagen in your skin. And this can disrupt um, your basement membrane, so where your epidermis and your dermis meet, and it can actually deepen the pigment. Yeah, definitely. So there's that exacerbation thing, and then it becomes a really, like, true mixed thing that can it can be hard to treat as opposed to if it's just epidermal or dermal. It's like this, like, mixture of, like, the things now. Yeah, so I guess what you've described, um, that incontinence of the junction, Yep. So the junction between your two layers of skin becomes incontinent. So it's not, it kind of is not working as good. And then the pigment slips through. And then once it's in that dermis, there's not like, it's difficult to treat because we don't have that shedding off of the skin as we do in epidermal conditions, like, like what we discussed before and with our solar lantigos, epileids, things like that. So it becomes a lot more chronic, I would say. That was a good word. Yeah. And um, I guess a, a, another really good important thing about melasma, it's such a big topic, but um, it has a vascular component to it. So it's not just a mm-hmm. pigmentary thing, it's a vascular thing. So a lot of studies have found that melasma skin just uh, displays a lot of vascular endothelial growth factor expression. So this is our... This is our um, growth factor in our body that helps dilate blood vessels. It helps um, grow more vessels in our body. So that feeding of the melasma increases. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where laser laser toning helps. It helps kind of tone that vascular component too. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, helping with both. Um, And that's the thing as well, to bring it back to UV and sunscreen because we we don't shut up. (laughs) Absolutely um, not. UV exposure is also going to affect that chronic dilation and damage of that vascular vascularity as well. So it really just all ties in together. With melasma, it really is something that can be managed really well. Like, but it needs, as any condition, it needs to be tackled from multiple standpoints. So, seeing a, a dermal clinician, um, you know someone that has worked with the condition before that understands that you can't treat it with heat because that's going to stimulate it. That's so important. Um, And then getting on some good home care, that is the way to go absolutely with this condition. Yep. Couldn't agree more. That brings us to dermal, which is your, the, you know, the lower layer of your skin. Um, So pigment that sits in this area is, complex um as you know you kind of would have gathered from the melasma which sits in the dermis as well but ones that sit here we're talking more congenital so a lot of birthmarks um nevi um often these do appear quite dark um yeah because of that reflection of um the light in that part of the skin that dermal part they often are that blue that gray that purple Mm-hmm. has that vascular component, has a um, nervous component to it also. Yeah, it's really um, its own structure within the skin at this point. Yeah. Um, these things are more of a complex thing and it needs to be, like, really tackled by someone who has a lot of experience with pigment um, and any sort of this – is, this is a big, like, laser. This would only really be treated with laser, I feel. Yeah, um, and even – like, what was that? Sorry. Or excision, even. Excision, yeah, yeah. If it's sitting on top, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this um, with dermal. Um, I guess there's two main ones. Uh, the first one is blue nevi. So these are very variably pigmented, um, and these are wedge shaped in in our skin. So the point to the deep reticular dermis uh, and the base of the lesion is parallel to the epidermal surface. So the, it looks flat because of that wedge is um, sitting on that epidermal surface. It tends to extend along things like neurovascular bands. So that, like I said, it has that nervous and vascular component. Um, And this actually, these actually derive from 
incomplete migration from melanocytes to the mid to deep dermis. So that's why it gets that look and has that, um, I guess, expression. They usually, um, they can be solitary, so they can like sit as a standalone kind of lesion, but you can get a couple. Um, it's not something like an ephylide or a sol lentigo where there's going to be a lot of them generally, um, but yeah. Yeah, perfectly said. Hmm. Um, and then with uh, another dermal uh, condition is nevus of odor or nevus of ida. So this is a, a bluish gray discoloration and this uh, sits along the nerve surrounding the orbital region or the eye region and the trigeminal nerve. So basically from your under eye all the way to the skin near your ear is kind of like where it sits that trigeminal nerve. Um, I, a nevus of Ito also represent, is presented as the same, but it occurs along the shoulders, the side of the neck and the clavicle. So like your collarbone area. Um, and these are very common in Asian populations mostly, and it affects more females. So I'd be interested to see, like, because it affects more females, maybe it has that estrogen component to it. Um, the, yes. I ha I couldn't find a lot of, um, I guess, data surrounding, like, you know, the hormonal co component, but um, the nevus of odor and Ido almost kind of looks like a bruise under the eye. It's like a permanent kind of, like, bluish bruise. Yeah, and it's, like, it's a very, like, not a defined kind of like a patch kind of appearance along that nerve it, it's very distinct yeah definitely um and these are kind of like the uh, like congenital things that we're talking about like with vitiligo or like albinism where it can can cause a bit of distress for people um because they kind of don't know what it is and you know like a lot of people can misdiagnose it and all that um but yeah they're developed early in life um definitely so within that like first decade of life it can happen yeah um and these can be treated well with q switch uh ruby lasers which is really good and you know help help pick that pigment up it sits nice and deep so get to the bottom of it definitely with the q switch lasers yeah they get in and out quick yep and they can um yeah really shatter that pigment up absolutely um and of course you know, with any of these dermal conditions, it's important to always, yeah, be using product and sunscreen so that it doesn't appear darker. Yeah. Um, because any of these conditions that we've discussed with that UV component, they will darken. So it can be easily self-managed as well for anyone listening who, you know, doesn't want to see a dermal condition or, you know, in terms of like, monetary you know um aspects of things if with the ingredients that we we discussed in the abcs of skincare as well um we've got pigment inhibitors yeah tyrosinase inhibitors yeah all those type of things so just like to, i guess to go through them briefly there's things like kojic acid vitamin c retinol um resorcinol, mm -hmm. um, even like our more like natural, I guess, quote unquote products like um, resorcinol, soybean extracts, very good at like helping in being an antioxidant and helping not even let the melanin get triggered by the inflammation that we experience. Because a lot of it, it's, it's a lot of inflammation prevention because Honestly, like a, a lot, I wouldn't put a percentage to it, but a lot, a lot of these conditions are sun induced at, or sun, sun exacerbated really. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So there's basically three things. So we've got, we've got our direct inhibitors, which is like your kojic acid. Yep. Going to stop, actively stop the process of the melanocyte, making that melanin and being converted into melanin. Then we've got our antioxidants, which is what you were just saying, and they are going to help minimize the inflammation, which stimulates the melanin production. So that's like your vitamin C, everything you just said, beautiful. Um, and then we've got our exfoliants. So these are things like all of our AHAs and BHAs as well. And basically what these are doing is removing that top layer of skin, 
where we've got that melanin, some of that melanin sitting for some of these um, conditions um, and stimulating that cell turnover to be quicker so that they don't have that time to um, uptake that melanin. And then, of course, sunscreen, that protective factor. 100,000 million percent. Mm-hmm. Never stop shutting up about it. No. Honestly, if we had a dollar for every time we spoke about sunscreen. I saw um, something the other day and it was like, reapply till you die. Like, Oh, my God. That is great. Reapply till you die. Stunning. True. That's a cute little quote. Mm-hmm. It, we need to copyright that. Life motto. <laughs> Life motto, yeah. Um, so, yeah, with the AHAs that you're talking about, like those exfoliating things, like basically what happens with that is that when we induce exfoliation in the skin we're really telling the our our body like give us new keratinocytes give us new skin cells like quickly like we want them now and basically like kind of like what with with the laser that we were talking about it does it quickly and it does it in a way where melanocytes can't actually deposit pigment into the keratinocytes our skin cells so we get this kind of fresh new skin um and overall yeah yeah, with less pigment overall, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then we can have those and pairing like an AHA with things like a retinol and like a vitamin C and a sunscreen, it, it creates a really good like trifecta or like a little regime where like those things are really being managed. Absolutely. And AHAs and um, vitamin C, they help with multiple things. It's not just the pigment. So people who are really looking at multiple issues like really benefit from it. Absolutely. So many ingredients as discussed in one of our previous episodes that are so beneficial for so many things. So that's where like your education comes in or going to see someone like a dermal clinician where they can recommend things that are going to benefit your skin the most is really important. Yeah. What's your like, I guess just personally, what's your favorite kind of like pigment inhibitor? Um, I, I don't use like a kojic acid or anything like that. I don't have really any products that are specific pigment things. Um, I kind of just get it through my vitamin C, my niacinamide, because that's an antioxidant as well. I do have chemical peels and things quite often. So that exfoliating action, um, which kind of removes any, like, and keeps it quite light, the pigment that I do have, my ethylides. Um, and sunscreen so I don't have that really direct inhibition I do get a bit of that from the AHAs Um, but yeah I love my antioxidants and my SPF yeah I would say the same I'm I'm quite the same with that like I mean like I do get that a bit of pigment I don't like I don't pigment like heavily after like an acne lesion but I still do so I always incorporate that vitamin C I really like that component um and like we said it's a multiple targeting thing so i do it for the anti-aging also Mm. but mainly it's that that uh preventing of the pigment um and the melanogenesis is what it's called we should probably should have said it's melanogenesis so that melanin generation genesis meaning creation melanin melano is melanin so um yeah that's actually a fantastic uh, thing that you brought up that we need to just like mention is having these ingredients in your skin and have your skin being prepped with having it in there, even if you aren't experiencing pigment or you do get breakouts in, and, you know, you get that PIH, if you've got that vitamin C and those antioxidants in your skin already, it's going to reduce the formation. Um, so, you know, using these ingredients isn't just about treating what's there. It's about preventing it coming as well and reducing it when you do get that breakout or you do have that sun exposure. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, even stop it before it even happens. Absolutely. It's always the best way. And sunscreen and vitamin C, pair them together in the morning, boom, Bob's your uncle. They are two peas in a pod. Like <laughs> Yeah, they are. Um, I guess just to kind of wrap up, what we've been speaking about, I think it's good just to briefly go over, I guess, skin cancer and like how we can identify briefly how it can, um, how it can develop from things like a solo and tigo or things like that. It's so important to mention because in Australia, like we have one of the highest rates of skin cancer and it's, it's crazy and it's scary. So 
everyone, you know, being aware of what changes to look out for and how important it is to have skin checks yeah. um, really gives you the literacy to like prevent it and be aware. Yeah. Um, I guess a good, there's a little good guide that I found. It's called the ABCDE guide of Tamelanomas. Um, and basically it's like a little checklist that you can do to look at a, um, a mole or like a solemn tiger and make sure it's not changing. So with A, it's all about alteration. So the alteration in the appearance of a mole, B is about border irregularity and bleeding or itching of a mole. So if you find that it's starting to itch or the borders have kind of like looks like a moth's eaten them almost or there's little like kind of dots around it. And that's the thing as well, a good thing to mention with this is um, nature favours symmetry. So if you're looking at it, uh, it looks really like not symmetrical. That is a good clue. Yeah. In terms of borders. Yeah. Colour also. So more than one shade of brown, red, black or white areas can also be present and that can change. So, um, you know, like seeing that kind of like purple component in something like a solar lentigo where it's epidermal, it's getting that vascular feeding. That's a good um, clue to something that there might be something beneath the surface that needs to be um, you know, looked at more. And that's the thing, isn't it? Like if you're unsure, it's worth it for the peace of mind. Like just, it's so worth just going and getting it checked always. Oh, absolutely. And the, like, honestly, like, like going into a dermatologist, it takes like, you know, depending on how, how much pigment you have in your body, on your body, it doesn't take that long at all. Like I've, I went with my dad last year and got a um, skin cancer check it takes like 10, 20 minutes out of your day. Okay. And it's just, and, and if they don't find anything, you just see them in a year, 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, the D on the ABCDE is diameter. So um, if you notice it's been growing, um, that's also a good indication that needs to be checked out. So um, there are usually, there's generally, you know, a range for certain um, conditions like, how big they are and if they extend bigger than that then you know it's, it's best to get it checked um and enlargement so if it grows over a period of weeks or months perfect that's a perfect way to end the episode yeah mm-hmm. and that is something we'll pop in the show notes so that everyone can reflect on that um and always yeah be looking at your moles be become best friends with them absolutely so yeah thank you everyone for listening hope everyone got uh you know, a, a good idea of what pigment is, different types of pigment and what, you know, a, a short list of um, things that are out there um, for pigment. Um, our Google form is still open. So if this brought up any questions for anyone or anyone has any other pigmented lesions that they wanted us to discuss, we are always open to it. Um, so, yeah, we'd love some more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot us some questions and we're happy to answer them. Um, So that's all from us. And thank you for listening to another episode of TY Skin.